Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Joining me in the studio, Neil Humphreys is with us for our murder mystery. What possessed a man to leave a toy grenade near Istana Park? Yeah. More of a crime mystery, this one. Okay, crime, crime mystery, mystery, not murder. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, there's no murder involved. No, no, there's so no that's murder. Good. There's a, there's a, there's a, yes, there's no scary ending. No, this one really caught my attention because... Yeah. Strange serendipity, you know, people think I make my stuff up, but, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. The, this very week, I stepped out of my lift, and there were a couple of uh, officers on the void deck area really? around the lift. Uh-oh. Because, and I'm not making this up, there were grenades on the floor. And what it was, Glenn, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've never seen this before. I think, I think they were fruit juices in some sort of plastic grenade shape or they were sweeties inside a grenade shape I, I really don't know but the point was really that kids <laughs> teenagers had thrown them onto the floor and it was only more about the littering issue you know that kids had just thrown these grenades all over the floor but for a split second as the doors open and you see you know uniformed officers and grenades on the floor you jump back slightly. You know, there's not much of a quicker laxative than that. So it's very interesting that on that very same week, the news reached us of this story that finally went to trial and it was finally mm. settled because the story, the incident itself is two years old. And that was on November the 3rd, 2017, a cleaner, I mean, I'm not going to mention the poor guy's name, he's been punished enough, but a, a cleaner found a toy grenade. You know, we've all had them as kids, you know, those little gun sets you get sure. and so on. Little plastic grey toy grenade. He found it lying near a fire hydrant in Astana Park, of all places, Astana wow, Park, right? you know, the home of the president and so on. So he decided, for reasons that are confusing, he decided to reposition it upright, stand it up, to make it look like a real grenade huh. outside or, or within a reasonable <laughs> distance of the president's palace. Yikes. Right? This did not go well because it caused serious panic. So after someone spotted what looked like a live grenade outside Istana Park, Penang Lane, you know, opposite is Penang Lane, sure. had to go into sh- lockdown because it's a serious event. I mean, the place had to go into lockdown. You had to shut it down. There were, the traffic was absolute mayhem. Police were cu- uh, called in because two motorists, you couldn't make this up, two motorists at the junction of Penang Lane and Orchard Road, only arguably the busiest junction in Singapore at least, anyway, right? yeah, sure. spot what looks like a real grenade standing upright outside the home of your country's president. <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up. They've called the police. Panic, panic, panic. Penang Lane cordoned off for 45 minutes. Orchard Road, utter chaos. The police are flooded with calls because all they know is, all the drivers know is, the street has been shut down for what is presumably a security issue. You're scared, right? If I'm in one of those cars and I hear, even if it's anecdotal, oh, we think there's a grenade outside, I can't go anywhere. You're going to be a little bit worried. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. closing my windows isn't really going to help me <laughs> it's not really gonna if help, this yeah. thing goes off. So the court heard this week that so many, as you can imagine, authority, public resources were used for, to satisfy and to secure public safety. 39 officers from all kinds of units, from the Singapore Police Force, Armed oh Forces, my gosh, really? chemical, biological, <laughs> radiological and explosive defence groups all flooded this now very congested, probably panic-stricken scene outside Istana Park. Get out. Sweeps 
of Dobie Gaunt MRT had to happen, obviously. So you've yeah. got security personnel flooding their way through the MRT station. Police hotline overrun with calls. What's going on? Why is Penang Lane shut down? Why is there security, biological, chemical officers all over Istana Park? Look, in the age we live in, we don't like it, but it must have been quite scary for the guys <laughs> yeah, going on, right? I think, right? All because of a toy that you could buy in any kiddie store, in any Pasamalam, any Heartland Mall in Singapore because a cleaner thought it would be fun. And when he, to see, this is his defence, to see what the response would be from the authorities. So yeah. this is the guy's thinking. This is why I don't really want to name the guy. They said he wasn't a particularly well-educated guy, mm. so we'll leave it at that. But he should have just swept the thing up and thrown it away. But he thought, you know, something in his brain thought, it would be fun to see what the security response will be <laughs> if I turn this grenade upright outside the President's Palace. Well, we saw what the response was. It was chaos, utter chaos. So he was sentenced. He was fined. I think it was $4,500, as there was obviously clearly a waste of public resources. He apologised. <laughs> he sought forgiveness. He could have been... He was sent, He was punished under the offence of uh, Protection from Harassment Act. Hmm. Basically, public nuisance and, and, and you know, creating a, a security threat that wasn't really there. But these things are quite serious. I remember, I mean, I grew up in East London at the time of the IRA yeah, bombings. the troubles, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the troubles of Ireland. That's absolutely right. It used to happen all the time. Two key incidents stand out. One wasn't serious. One was serious. I was sitting on a bench. This is a true story. I'll never forget this. I've just finished my Saturday afternoon part-time job stacking shelves at the supermarket, and I'm sitting at a bench. What a responsible young lad you were. I was. I was. I was 16. <laughs> and I see everyone on the train station platform on the London Underground station mm. of East Ham, going in the opposite direction, going away from, out of the station, back up the stairs that I've just come down. And so everyone leaves, and I'm thinking, I don't know what's happening here. So someone, after a minute, and I'm literally now the only person left on the station <laughs> platform, Glenn, and I've clearly missed whatever announcement there was just before my arrival. So the station platform staff uh, master comes down and says, can you evacuate, please, sir? I said, why? He said... Well, we've, we've got a bomb scare. And I said, really? What is it? And he said, and I'll never forget this, well, mate, it's that bag there <laughs> beside me on the bench, <laughs> right? I didn't know what it was. I just sat beside it. I thought it was someone else's who'd just gone to get a ticket or something. You have never seen a 16-year-old boy run faster. <laughs> get I, that boy in the Olympics. <laughs> oh, I, Usain Bolt. Your son, your son wouldn't have caught me that morning. I took off like Usain Bolt. That's one. The other one, Glenn, is just downright funny. Well, it isn't, it isn't. I was in, a, I was now a about 17, 18. Mm. I was in a public park late at night with a young lady, and I'll leave it at that, having some fun. And in the distance, I hear a slight boom. What I found out later that night, or it may have even been the next morning, this is pre-internet, yeah. it was a bomb. A bomb had gone off at, at Canary Wharf yeah. in East London, which I later worked out was about probably about four or five miles away, about six or seven kilometers away from where I was with this girl. And I actually heard a real 
IRA bomb go off. I, I, if I recall correctly, no one died in it, which is good, but there was lots of property damage. Wow. But what I found fascinating about that, what I tell people was, I went into that park with a young lady hoping to hear and feel the heaven move. <laughs> the earth shake. Did. Yeah, the, the earth moved that night, Glenn, but not in the way I anticipated. Neil Humphreys talking about our crime stories today. Oh, Neil, there's always something, isn't there? A toy grenade. So please, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, particularly boys and girls, young boys and girls, if you're playing with a toy grenade, a gun, handcuff, knife, it doesn't matter if it's plastic, please yeah. dispose of it sensibly. All right. Neil, what's going on this week? Anything else coming up new this week that we should be looking at? What are we looking at this weekend? Well, we've got National Day rehearsals going on, of course. They're still happening, so avoid them. And I don't know about you, but I am near Pyre Labor Airport, Mm. so I hear them every single day. I'm on East Coast, so I see them when they come and go. It's great. I don't mind it. I mean, I I personally think it's it's quite fascinating to watch. You don't get to sleep in. I can tell (laughs) you that much when the jets are flying past you (laughs) at at the early hours of morning. Yeah. But uh, no, it's um, and the, I might be going to the cinema because I want to see oh, something that you have seen. Let's talk about that right now, actually. At the projector, yeah, Amazing Grace mm-hmm. is a movie that's at the projector on Beach Road. Those of you who may have know know about that theater, it's a they show it's an art house uh, movie theater. In, One of my favorite Road. cinemas, actually. Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, this week opened um, Amazing Grace, which is the 1972 sort of documentary about Aretha Franklin. Mm. And she, at that point in her career, she was she had already sold like 20 million albums. She was huge. And she decided to go back and shoot a series of two concerts over two nights at a Baptist church in Los Angeles with a, with a, with a local community choir backing wow. her up, getting back to her roots. Her father was a pastor. She grew up traveling with him. He was a, a traveling minister, singing in the choir and, and singing gospel uh, songs, which many, of course, many great jazz and blues singers started in the church. Church. And so Sidney Pollack produced this film. It was never completed in, original, in, in its original form when they, when they shot it. They had some technical problems. But then they did finally eventually finish it. And anyway, so this, this documentary is out now, and it's just – it's amazing. It's, it's raw. It's not polished in any way like we would expect today. It's people, you know, like hooking up the cables and, yeah. oh, we got a, we got a, we got a power problem. And, and, of course, it's 72, so the clothes are amazing yeah, of course. in all of this. Uh, you know, it's just seeing the fashions. And, and Mick Jagger's in the audience watching because, yeah. you know, as you may know, the Stones were huge RB and Definitely. gospel fans uh, reflected in a lot of their music. But just the way they put this together and, and over two nights she sang a variety of songs and it was just a, a really, really simple but powerful pre- performance by her. Well worth seeing. It's about an hour and a half long. It's not super long. I'm desperate to see it because yeah. Aretha Franklin for me is like Lionel Messi or Roger Federer. Mm. There's Aretha and there's everybody else. You know, when it comes to female vocalists, I got my favorites. I love Darlene Love. I'm a big fan yeah. of Whitney Houston and, yeah. and the Ronettes and all those guys. But for me, there's there's Aretha and there's everybody else. Yeah. We can argue about everybody else. So I'm, I'm interested to see that. The technical aspect fascinates me because I've listened to some podcasts about this documentary Mm -hmm. and I've got personal experience from my own TV hosting this week because Sidney Pollack of course the great great director this is the reason why they took 40 years to release that documentary Sidney Pollack did not want to disturb Aretha's preparation and singing so he didn't have 
any clapperboards on set. He didn't use them. Oh. Now, for the, and I only discovered this recently myself. Hmm. For those who are not versed in how TV production works is, that is so that when you've got different cameras on, audio is recorded on one track, the visual is recorded right. on another track. They need that clap so that they know where to come in and they know to sink, later to, to sink. sink it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I had to keep doing it this week yeah. at the hosting that I did. I yeah, had to yeah, keep yeah. clapping yep. so that because we had different cameras recording different things. Because Sidney Pollack was so respectful to Aretha, he didn't want clapperboards going off every few seconds mm. because there's a lot of cameras, a lot of takes. He never did it. He just said, we'll just roll the cameras and we'll work it out later. Is that right? And they couldn't. There was just so many cameras, so much noise. And, of course, as you know, you're from a TV background. This is a concert, so there's Mm. noise everywhere. Mm. So there's all kinds of noises from the audience. Yeah, a room full of people. Yeah, sure. People forget that when you record a you know a rock concert or a rock documentary, it's so hard. There are so many audio tracks, and that's with today's technology. You're talking about 1972. Yeah, it couldn't be done. Yeah, it couldn't be done. They spent years. They couldn't do it. They gave up. Only recently, with modern technologies, have they been able to sync as oh, best as they could great. the audio with the visual. And that's why you said it's still a little bit raw and it still is, a little yeah. bit shaky. But it's taken almost 40-odd years to get that far. 40 years ago, it just wouldn't have been possible simply because mm-hmm. he didn't use the clapperboards. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that. The other thing is, that, look, her raw emotion and power mm-hmm. is what comes out. Now, Aretha, had a, she had a tough life. Oh, yeah. She gave her birth to her first child at 13, Yes. And she had three kids before she was 20, okay? So it gives you an idea of the kind of, you know, the kind of upbringing she had and, you know, a series of abusive relationships. And, I mean, she really, she struggled in her personal relationships and her mom took off on them. And so she was raised mostly by her dad. And so there there was a lot of stuff. And and you see, when you know a little bit about her background – as with many of those great jazz and blues singers who came up really, really rough, really the hard way, they have so much passion and there's so much depth in what they're singing and how they're singing it. And of course, for many people, not just in that era, but even now, the church was really an anchor, a bedrock for them because they had precious little else. And so, you know, to hear her sing these songs like Amazing Grace, the the title of the of the film, it just you know it just brings you know your your skin stand you know goosebumps, goosebumps yeah, exactly because I can't hear anybody sing Amazing Grace without getting emotional. I suspect if I heard Aretha doing it on a big screen, I'd, I'd be a blubbing mess. It, it, it's um, it's really a fantastic film, and and for the, all the historic reasons, and but just the passion that's behind it. It's it's so not manufactured. I could not agree more, Glenn. I, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that Oscar winning documentary. I think it's called Twelve Steps from stardom um, it's about the backing singers the African American oh. backing singers mm. like Darling Love mm-hmm. like the Ronettes uh, all those great bands the Crystals and how they got completely ripped off by Phil Spector and a lot of the white Americans who yep. just took their music and monetized it and abused them yep. but every one of them says exactly what you say it's one of my favourite documentaries I think it's called 12 Steps from Stardom it won the Oscar about these young girls gospel singing Mm-hmm. in the churches, which Phil Spector completely ripped off because gospel singing is question and answer. Yeah, question and answer. You sing, you respond. You sing, right. you respond. You sing, you respond. That's what Phil Spector did. So 
they took that raw passion from the deep south and from the church and from the gospel singing and they put it into that music of the 60s nobody nobody sings like those those women of the 60s yeah. in my opinion nobody reaches yeah. those soulful depths that those women of the 60s reached in America yeah. that all started I would say almost all of them from, from gospel singing in church definitely uh, next week, I will tell you my Phil Spector story. Oh, definitely. I lived next door to him in the 80s. No, that's yes. amazing. In in, uh, in Beverly Hills. I will give you that story in its entirety next week. Anyway, uh, Neil, thanks for joining me today. And uh, boy, have a great rest of the weekend. Good stuff today. It was we great covered a lot fun. of ground. We had hula hoops. We had Singapore <laughs> rivers. We had toy grenades. Rich houses. We had, who says we don't have comprehensive, <laughs> insightful, witty stuff. This is where you need to be on Money FM. All right. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.